It feels like it's this rule book and it's just a bunch of things that we have to do. And yet the whole point is that God's kingdom would come on this earth. And that's, I think that's the point of the book is that we're trying, we're trying to build up a, a new type of humanity, a new type of, a new group of people, the free people of God, where God's kingdom can dwell here on this earth. So I appreciate that. So, uh, for those of you who uh, haven't been here for a little while or are new with us, uh, we are in the exciting book of Leviticus for, for a long time. So, uh, so uh, we're, we're in the series called Life After Egypt, uh, talking about what happens after you move out of 400 years of slavery. How do you, how do you develop yourself into a new kind of people uh, and I think that Leviticus uh, is the answer to that question, that Leviticus is, is kind of God's way of saying, this, this is the new kind of people that I want you to be now as my free people. Uh, I've liberated you, and now I want you to live as this new kind of people. So thanks to Gary for filling in for me uh, last week while I was gone, kind of working us through chapter 4 uh, of Leviticus, one more type of offering, the, the guilt offering. Uh, uh, that I'm going to talk about next week, and, and then we'll, we'll kind of move on from the offerings. Uh, but before we get too far removed uh, from the first three uh, chapters, the first three sacrifices that we talked about uh, over the last month, the, the burnt offering, the olah, the grain offering, the, the minha, and, and then the fellowship offering, the zevah, uh, I, I want to... Uh, I want to share a few more thoughts about sacrifice in general. Uh, before, before we move on, there's some things that just didn't quite fit in, in the other sermons, and yet I, I find them really interesting and perhaps kind of uh, perhaps helpful, uh, significant. Uh, I'll let you decide that for yourself. Uh, so, so before we move on too far, uh, I just want to share some some kind of uh, some general thoughts and some more specific thoughts about uh, sacrifice and animal sacrifice, uh, and uh, just kind of throw a whole bunch of things at you this morning. And uh, if it's pertinent and relevant, awesome. And if not, uh, that's okay. Uh, but but I at least find them to be interesting. So we're just going to pause for this week. Kind of kind of uh, this is kind of an aside from moving. Uh, uh, verse by verse, line by line through, through the book. And I just want to make a whole bunch of comments about sacrifice. So uh, here's about 20 ideas for you. You ready? All right, here we go. Uh, so first, to start out, uh, one kind of general comment about sacrifice. I think it's worth noting again, I've, I've maybe mentioned it in passing, but I think it's worth giving it a little bit of dedicated attention uh, here at this point. Before we move on, it's worth noting that the first three sacrifices in Leviticus are voluntary. You don't, they are not required. You don't have to do them. It's kind of up to you. Uh, I'm I mean that in the kind of the collective royal you sense of the word. Uh, uh, I'm guessing that none of you will actually perform them. But for the people that this was written to, uh, originally, it, it was voluntary for them as well. These were optional sacrifices. Uh, and, and I think that's important uh, because in a book chock full of rules and regulations, of minute details and stringent guidelines where everything is talked about to the, 
to the smallest degree, and this book is full of rules and regulations, I think it's worth pointing out that the, the first three ideas, the very beginning of all these rules and regulations, the first three sacrifices are optional. They're voluntary. Leviticus doesn't start with things that you have to do. These three sacrifices are ultimately about gift and gratitude, joy and peace, contentment and fellowship. Leviticus doesn't begin with law or condemnation or judgment or obligation. It doesn't begin with a whole slew of things that you have to do in order to live up to God's expectations for your life. It begins with voluntary gratitude to the God that you want to come near to in relationship. I think, like, I can't understate that enough. Like, that is so profound. That is so profound. Leviticus doesn't begin with rules and regulations. It actually begins with gratitude to a God who has blessed you so much that you just want to join him in his cause in blessing the entire world. That, that's, that's profound. This would have been such good news, especially to the Israelites. This would have been so relevant to a people group that is coming out of slavery. They have been forced to do everything in their lives for 400 years. Not one thing that they've, been able, that they've done has been on their own. If the, if the Egyptians didn't want them to do it, they couldn't do it. That's the way slavery works, correct? Uh, so they have been forced to do everything in their lives for years, for generation upon generation. Their life has not been their own. Everything has been done out of obligation and requirement. But now, in God's economy, in God's kingdom, uh, there's a different way. There's freedom here. Now you're invited into a new relationship with a God who loves you, who heard your cry, who brought you into freedom, and who wants to journey with you in newness of life. This is good news. This is good news for them, uh, and this is good news for us as well. So th- this is a new pattern for living. This is a new rule of life, and it simply begins with a place of gratitude. It's not, you have to do all these things. I, look, I, I saved you, I brought you out of Egypt, I freed you from your oppression, now you have to follow every little mandate that I give you. And there's going to be some of that, but it starts with joy. It starts with gratitude. It starts with thankfulness for all that God has done, and so we joyously Uh, participate in this new pattern of life. The first thing that the people of God are taught isn't how to fall in line, but how to properly express joy. Uh, How about that for a new way of living? I think that's awesome. And this beginning to the book is entirely relevant for us today as well. A A life of faith does not start with rules and regulations, It doesn't start with all the things that we have to do in order to live up to God's expectations. It starts with grace. It starts with a joyous and wondrous relationship of gratitude with our God who brought us out of slavery and into a new life. 
Uh, our life of faith isn't about rules and regulations first and foremost. It's about gratitude. It's about grace. And it's about us responding to God's blessing in our life with wanting to live out a life of blessing for ourselves and for God and for the entire world. So that's, that's kind of first and foremost thing. Uh, this is voluntary. Uh, okay, uh, a more specific thought about animal sacrifice. Uh, first, uh, it's, it's important to recognize and acknowledge here that the journey of faith is just that. It's a journey. It's a process. Uh, It's true for us personally. Uh, We don't start out our faith journeys fully formed as disciples of Jesus. I I don't know about you, but I didn't start out my journey with Jesus having everything together. I didn't start out with doing everything right. I didn't start out with knowing all things, and I'm still not at that point It's a process. It takes work. We learn, we grow, we evolve in our understanding of who God is and how God is at work in our lives. It's a process. It's it's a journey. And that is true for the people of God collectively as well. It's true for us as a church as well. We don't start out our faith journey. We didn't start out our faith journey as the people of God fully formed as perfect God followers as well. We're not a perfect church either. We, we are learning and growing. It takes work. Uh, we're, we're, we're evolving in our understanding of who God is and how God is at work in the world and what that means for us as First Baptist Church of Bozeman, Montana. Uh, this is an evolutionary process. We're learning. We're growing. This, there's a journey here. Uh, and so I, I want to say that Leviticus is located pretty early on in this journey of faith. When you think about kind of the grand arc of of humanity's relationship with God, Leviticus is pretty early in the journey, in the evolution of of our understanding of God. So when it it comes to uh, things like animal sacrifice that seem a little bit weird and seem a little bit archaic and seem a little bit old, uh, I think it's important to just note uh, that they're at the beginning of kind of humanity's journey with God. Leviticus is pretty early on. So God doesn't throw the Israelites into the deep end right away. It's a process. It's a journey, one that we're still on today, trying to come to a deeper understanding of God, building on the wisdom and faithfulness of our spiritual descendants, and sometimes even having to learn from the stupidity and faithlessness of our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. We're we're journeying, we're learning. Uh, So then, when it comes to animal sacrifice, if you're... If you're like me and you kind of think, why'd they even do that? Like, why did God ask them to do that? Like, shouldn't they not have? Like, it's, it's kind of weird and it kind of seems cruel and it kind of seems, just seems like an odd ritual. Like, why'd they even do that? Shouldn't they have, like, should they have even been doing that? Uh, the question is, yep, that's right. They probably shouldn't have. Uh, And and eventually they didn't. And Jesus is the key component 
in that evolutionary process. But I think Scripture is pretty clear that this Levitical sacrificial system isn't God's best and ultimate plan for how to relate with his people, right? The Old Testament becomes a declaration of that. It was certainly God's plan for then, and it was good and it was right. It was all according to God's plan. But Jesus' ultimate sacrifice pretty clearly declares that this was not the plan for all time. This was not the ultimate plan. Hebrews 10 says this, First Jesus said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire. He's actually, he's talking to his father. He's talking to God. This isn't actually what you wanted, nor were you pleased with them. Though they offered, though they, they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am. I have come to do your will. He, he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made, through, made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So yes, this is most certainly God's plan But this was never meant to be the end-all, be-all system for all time. There is a reason that all these sacrifices uh, in our kind of modern minds uh, seem to be ancient and kind of outdated. And there's a reason that we don't do them anymore. And that's because this is a process, a movement toward God and creation being in perfect alignment. And Leviticus is part of the journey but it's, it's a journey that reaches its fulfillment in Jesus, where Jesus shows us a new way, where he becomes the final sacrifice. So, so Leviticus is a, is a process. It's a part of the journey, and Jesus ultimately fulfills the process. He ultimately becomes the final sacrifice on our behalf. So if you're reading Leviticus and you're reading these sacrifices and you're thinking, this seems so weird. Uh, what is, how is this relevant to us today? Let's just keep in mind that it was incredibly relevant then, uh, and, it, and it continues to be relevant in that it, it shows us the whole story of what God has been up to throughout the course of human history, and that that ultimately reveals that Jesus becomes the final sacrifice on our behalf, which is the best news we could possibly receive. Okay. That was a bit convoluted, but I think just worth pointing out quickly. All right, lastly, I want to spend the rest of the time uh, talking a, a, a few more thoughts about why sacrifice. Like why God, God could have related to his people in any number of ways. He could have asked his people uh, to, to give offering, to give gift in a, in a bunch of different ways. Why sacrifice? Like, why do things need to be killed? Why, why the blood and guts and gore? Uh, why is sacrifice important? I, I mean, it's pretty weird, right? It, it's it's kind of strange. There's so many rules and, and so much blood and, and the guts and the fire. I, I mean, why? Why is this significant? Why would God ask this of his people. So here's where I throw a million thoughts at you, and, and uh, we'll, see what, we'll see what happens. First, first, why sacrifice? Well, uh, part of it is that this is something, this is just something that all cultures in the ancient Near East already did. 
Sacrifice was just part of being religious. If you're going to be religious in an ancient Near Eastern culture, you do sacrifice. And that doesn't mean that we have to, but I think that's part of it, is that that's what you do in this culture. But, but, but this God transforms that a little bit. Not all cultures uh, had the same reasoning for doing their sacrifices. Some cultures uh, viewed sacrifice as actually feeding the gods physically, like caring for the deities by providing them food, like they actually needed sustenance. So we will sacrifice these things, we'll burn them, and they will actually physically care for the gods, providing them food, the, uh, which obviously that's, that's a little different than Leviticus. The, the Sumerians saw sacrifice as a way of justifying their own meat consumption, kind of like as long as we're sharing the meat with the gods, then it makes it okay for us to kill these animals and for us to eat meat. Uh, they were justifying uh, their, own, their, their own consumption of meat. The Assyrians and the Babylonians, they actually killed animals in order to get the entrails, like they wanted the guts out of them, uh, because the, these guts, the entrails, were actually used in divination. They, they would burn them, and this was a they would use them to try to predict the future and try to conjure up and the dead and all, all of these things uh, through supernatural means. So they sacrificed in order to get these parts that were used in these kind of weird supernatural rituals. Uh, most ancient cultures saw sacrifice as a way of appeasing the gods. Like, like if I just give enough if I, if I just sacrifice enough, if my offering is just big enough, then things will work out and life will go well. If I just kill in this certain way, if I just give this certain animal, then certainly the gods will be pleased and my life will go well for me. Uh, and, and then the slippery slope of that way of thinking, uh, where I just keep giving and giving until it finally pleases the gods, uh, and, and life goes well for me, where, where I just, uh, uh, and, and th things start to go my way, uh, the, the slippery slope there is that once you've given everything else that you can possibly imagine to give, once you've sacrificed everything else that you can possibly sacrifice, uh, and it still hasn't worked out, because that's not the way that God works, uh, is that you give your firstborn, which I... In this ancient Near Eastern world, I think that's why Abraham doesn't flinch when God asks that of him, because that's the way things worked in these ancient cultures. You would give your firstborn. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, I think that we still kind of think of God and in, in the universe as functioning in that way. In some ways, I don't know that, that we've evolved much past that. Uh, I think far too often, we kind of treat God as if we just do enough good things, then the world should just kind of work out well for us. Like when bad things happen, we ask questions like, what did I do to deserve this? Like, like I've lived a pretty good life. Like, why aren't things going better for me? That if we just keep to our religious obligations, God will help us out. Like, I turned my life over to Jesus. Like, why aren't things working better for me? I mean, this, this way of thinking still seeps into our current 
culture. But thank God that God isn't like that. We don't have to wonder if we've done enough to please our God. Leviticus is revolutionary because you can actually know where you stand with God. You can actually know, I don't have to wonder if like this latest sacrifice finally appeased this dictator God that seems to just rule on high and make, uh, uh, make decisions all willy-nilly and I don't know what's going on. You can actually know where you stand with this God. The good news is that God is pleased with us regardless of the size of our gift. When we offer ourselves to him, we can know that he loves us and that he is pleased with us. For the Jews, sacrifices are simply a gift of gratitude for God's goodness. There's no obligation. There's no hoops to jump through. It's just about gratitude and joy. And Leviticus declares this, that that sacrifices aren't about feeding or caring for the gods. Uh, Like Psalm 50 says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Uh, This... This God doesn't need us for his basic provisions. That's not what sacrifices are for. This God already owns the whole world. He doesn't need our sacrifices in that way. And the sacrifices aren't about appeasing the gods and getting them on our side. This God is already on our side. This, we don't have to earn his favor We don't have to earn uh, his his, uh, journeying with us. We don't have to earn his presence with us. He's already on our our side. He loves us and cares for us, and he doesn't need anything from us except us. He just wants us. So the sacrifices are about us involuntarily giving what we have as a form of gratitude for God's goodness and a way of joining God in his work in the world. For nothing, and so this is revolutionary. Leviticus is revolutionary in an ancient Near Eastern culture where sacrifices are done for all sorts of strange reasons. This is just, thank you God for for what you've done. I'm just grateful for it. And I want to join you in the work that you're doing in the world. Okay, second, continuing on. Why sacrifice? Uh, because God wants to have a meal with us. Sacrifice is a participation in the gift of life itself. It's a recognition that God is the ultimate provider of everything, including these animals and these grains uh, that we are giving uh, to God as gift. He is the owner of all of that anyway. He is the ultimate provider of all of that. Uh, And so the best way to celebrate God's gift of life itself is to share a meal with the actual giver of that life. And so we In that process, we just recognize, God, thank you for all of the provisions. Thank you for all of the animals. Thank you for all of the grains. Thank you for all of the ways that you've been taking care of me. And I want to take a little bit of that, and I want to share a meal with you. Because that's what you do with people that you love and you want to be in a relationship with. Eat with them. And so we sacrifice as a form of communing with God. Uh, Why sacrifice? Because this is a form of worship and connection with God 
that actually costs us something. I think it's important for us to do things in our lives that actually cost us something. And that seems to be one of the greatest forms of worship. Sacrifice reminds us of the costliness of following God. There's some difficulty in being a follower of Christ. It might get a little bloody at times. It's not always easy and painless, which is one of the main takeaways of chapter 4 that Gary led us through this last week, the sin offering. If we want to live into this new way of being, if we want to live into this new rule of life as the people of God, it's probably going to cost us something. What do you do when you realize that you've violated God's way of life? Well, you've got to make it right. You've got to do something in order to make things right. You repent, you say you're sorry, you make amends, which always costs something, right? To, to say you're sorry, to make amends, to fix things when you screwed it up, it all, it's always costly. There's always a little blood there. There's always a little sacrifice there. It's hard work. Uh, Mandy and I, uh, we talked about this. Uh, when, when our kids get into, uh, into arguments or when they do something that they know they shouldn't have done or that they do something that, where they've hurt somebody else, uh, we tell them that they need to say they're sorry, and they're pretty good at doing that. That's not too costly. But the next step is they got to make it right. You got you to make it right. You got you to try to, to, to fix things and put things back together. And that's hard work. That's challenging. That's costly. Uh, when we do things uh, that, that hurt others, it costs us something. I was thinking about a soccer game. This has been about three weeks ago or so. And it was kind of this kind of a rough game. It was getting kind of violent and chippy and... and uh, and at the time, my, my knee was hurting really bad, and, uh, and I was kind of gimping along, but I was, I was aware that, like, if I get tackled out hard or if I get run into, like, this is going to be really painful. And, and sure enough, this guy just kept pushing and shoving on me a lot of the game, and then at one point, he, like, totally took me out, and my, and my knee, like, I was just aware of my knee in this moment. And, and something kind of instinctual, like guttural, took over in my body, and it wasn't of God, and I popped up. And I don't know, like I'm usually a pretty passive guy, like pretty calm, but I popped up in this moment, and I was like, hey! And I like yelled at him. Uh, like, no, no actual words, but I was just like, this guttural response to like the fear of getting hurt and the frustration of, of having been like kind of pounded on this whole game and this like angry guttural roar like escaped from my body. And it, like about half a second later, I was like, oh man, what was that? Like that was, that was messed up. And so I had to make it right though. And so as much as I didn't want to, I, like after the game, I, I had to just go say, Hey, man, I'm really sorry for just, like, screaming in your face. Like, I don't know where that came from, and I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And he was cool. I think he probably understood kind of the intensity of, of athletics. Uh, uh, but I didn't want to do that, uh, and yet I had to. Uh, and, and so there's a costliness to living out our faith and trying to make amends 
uh, and trying to be people that love our neighbors and, and love those who have hurt us, there's a costliness there that kind of hurts where we have to, to kind of swallow our pride and, 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 be, and humble ourselves enough to say, I really screwed up and I shouldn't have done that. And so sacrifice, I think, is important because it reminds us of the costliness of faith. It's, it's going to get messy. Faithfulness is hard and messy and costly, and sacrifice is a beautiful reminder of that, that this is hard. This is hard, and it's, and it's going to be challenging for us. All right, why sacrifice? Because it reminds us of the practical, tangible, action-based nature of our faith. Uh, the, the nature of sacrifice is you have to do something. You have to get your hands messy. You have to, it's, there's an, it's an involved process for both you and the animal, more so for the animal than, than for the sacrificer. But this is an involved process. You don't just get to like, Say, hey, can somebody else take my animal in to see the priests and you don't just get to stay at home while the whole process... You're in, you're in it. You're in it with the priest. Uh, and so uh, sacrifice reminds us of the practical, tangible, action-based nature of our faith. Faith involves movement. It involves effort. It involves action. It's this immersive, involved process where we get our hands dirty for the sake of of the gospel. Uh, we get our, our hands and feet moving and active as a way of being a blessing to the world. You have to do something. You have to make something. You have to give something. There's no just skirting by when it comes to our relationship with God. God wants us to be in it, to be involved, to be immersed in the process with him. Our actions matter. So sacrifice then reminds us of this truth, of the action part of our faith. Leviticus is declaring that a relationship with God isn't just about having our thoughts and our, our ideas and our theologies aligned with God, but also our practices, our actions, our way of life. Everything, all parts, our, the head part and the heart part, but also the hands and the feet, the, bo the body kind of part of our faith is supposed to be aligned with God as well. Leviticus starts out with skin and bone rituals because this is a skin and bones kind of God who eventually even puts on skin and bones to fully reveal his new way of being human and who calls us to faithfulness through skin and bones actions, like loving our neighbors, like loving our enemies, like feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, all sorts of ways in which we are actually called to live out our faith. This new way of being the free people of God, this way of blessing all people in response to God's blessing is a touch and feel, tactile, hands-on way of living. And so our rituals need to be the same. They need to be touch and feel tactile and hands-on as well. For them, for the Israelites, it looked like blood and guts and fire and feasts. Our rituals look a little differently. Uh, they look a little different than that. And yet they're still touch and feel. They're still tangible. They're still tactile. They're still hands-on. For us, it looks like singing. Singing harmoniously together 
to remember our calling to actually live harmoniously together. It looks like showing up on a Sunday morning and, and having uh, hand-shaking and hug-giving be a part of our liturgical hour, be a part of our worship time together because we're training ourselves to be hospitable as we leave and enter the world. We're training a, by hugging each other and shaking hands and being in community with one another on a Sunday morning, this tactile ritual is training us to do the exact same thing everywhere we go out in the world the rest of the week. We, we pray prayers audibly because we want to talk to God audibly throughout the week. Uh, we bring our kids up to bless them in front of the church because we want to train ourselves to think of kids and young people as being a blessing. We want to be a blessing to them everywhere we go throughout the week. We tear off bread and we drink juice together. We go into the water fully. We have these these tangible hands-on rituals that we do here on a Sunday morning because we are training ourselves to remember that our faith is supposed to be tangible, tactile, hands-on out in the world. Okay, one more. Why sacrifice? Because when you're learning and growing and being molded into a new kind of people, you have to start with being disciplined in small, detailed, regimented ways. When, you're, when we're being formed, when we're learning anything new, right? my kids are learning to read and doing math and all these kind of new things, you got to start small, right? You start with small little details. When we're learning anything new, you start with the small little details. When a, person, when a baseball player is trying to re-correct their swing because they've gotten to a funk, they look at video, and they're looking, where are my hands? Where's my elbow? When I come through, where is every little part of my body? When we are learning a new thing, when we are being trained to become a new kind of people, the small details, the small regimented details matter. Think about when somebody joins the military. We got, we got someone in the back for us. He could probably shout out the answer. When you join the military, What's one of the first things that they teach you? They don't teach you how to shoot a gun. They don't teach you how to, how to uh, you know, survive in Afghanistan. Or, they teach you how to make your bed. Right? I'm not, and I'm not, I'm not throwing a shade at that. I'm saying it's, they teach you how to iron your shirt, how to polish your boots. They teach you the little things. They teach you how to wear your clothes. They teach you what time to wake up. They teach you how to march, right? This is the correct, this is the correct formation. These are the things you say. This is the way that you walk. Uh, they, they teach you, there's thousands of little details that because you're being formed into a new kind of people. And so if you're, if you're wanting to learn a new thing, uh, all of these little details need to get heightened because you're being shaped and formed for a specific purpose. And, and the first way that you do that is by emphasizing all the everyday details. So similarly, in the sacrifices, God is calling us to get all of our lives in alignment with his new kingdom right down to the little uh, tiny details. Uh, like, you, 
You cut up the meat this way on this part of the altar. You splash the blood on this side for this reason. Uh, if, you're, if you're working with a herd animal, it's this. If you're working with a flock animal, it's, it's this. If you're working with birds, you cut them in this way and you do this. If you're working with grain, it, all these little details that seem so insignificant, but when we're trying to be formed into a new kind of people, the, the tiny little details matter. The way... The way that we talk to our kids matter. The way, that we, the way that we drive our car matters in the kingdom. Are we, do, are we doing it with anger? Are we doing it with peace? The, way, the kind of language that we use matters. The kind of food that we eat matters. The, the way that we treat one another matters all the way down to the little, little details. And so sacrifice reminds us that God is calling us to get all of our lives in alignment with, with God's kingdom, right down to the tiny little details. Okay, that's a messy sermon, and there's no good way to end it, so I'm just going to end it. But I just, I just wanted one more week of reminding us that this ancient book is still so relevant. It still matters in so many ways. And these ancient practices still have a lot of meaning for us today. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much that we can learn from these people that have gone before us. And maybe, maybe it gets lived out in different ways. Maybe, maybe this, these texts get interpreted differently uh, you know, four or five, six thousand years later than they did then. And yet the meaning stays the same. And so we, uh, I am thankful for Leviticus, how it's molding me and shaping me. It's reminding me of things that have been true from the very beginning and remain true today. Help us to get all the details of our lives in alignment with you. Help us to realize that you are the ultimate giver of all of life. You hold all of life in the palm of your hands. And so we are simply coming before you in gratitude, in joy for the blessings that you have given us. Help us to be transformed by this book. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.